0: Welcome to episode 238 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Crigsman, industry analyst and your host. I want to thank Livestream for being our video streaming partner because those guys are great and if you go to livestream.com/cxotalk they will give you a discount. Today in CXO Talk, we are speaking about one of the most important topics in technology bar none. You know, actually in today's world, it's one of the most important topics probably in the world. And that topic is security. And our guest today, Tom Patterson, is the Chief Trust Officer at Unisys. He is one of the world's experts on this topic and Let me introduce Tom, and he'll tell you about his background, and uh, stick around. Join us on Twitter with the hashtag CXOTalk. There's a tweet chat going on right now, and you can ask your questions and jump in and join in the conversation. Tom Patterson, how are you?
1: Michael, it's so great to be here on CXOTalk with you. I'm thrilled. As you mentioned, security is, first and foremost, everybody's topic. Not just technology anymore, but the boardrooms and the government's all around the world. Everyone's focused on this, and I think it's a great topic for your show. I'm thrilled to be here. Well,
0: thank you so much. We have a lot to talk about. So, Tom, please tell us about Unisys and tell us about your role as Chief Trust Officer.
1: Sure, Michael. I, uh, you know, Unisys is a, uh, a name probably a lot of people are familiar with. It's It's a company that's been around for over a century, and it's really worked at the forefront of a lot of the big technological changes of the different parts of the era over the last century, what they've recognized now is that security is the new enabler for everything they want to do. When we want to go digital with our businesses, when we want to go global with our businesses, when we need to be resilient with our businesses, they're finding that security is the great enabler for that. So Unisys provides um, full systems support that are differentiated by industry-leading security. So we operate systems that uh, protect borders for entire countries. And we operate systems that uh, issue national IDs for whole countries, uh, manage jails, uh, car air cargo, you know, 20% of the world's air cargo is managed by Unisys. So a lot of the critical infrastructures of the world are the natural Unisys clients. And uh, so we really take security seriously because our clients take security so seriously. And uh, so we've created this role with the chief trust officer. And I I imagine I'm the first chief trust officer you've had on CXO Talk, And I I get that a lot. Uh, But uh, we've established this role in recognition that security is more than an IT issue anymore. It used to be. It used to be bits and bytes and routers and firewalls. Now it's boardroom decisions. And what should we do about an M&A? And how should we go into a merger? And how should we partner in this country or that country? These are all business decisions. And the threats are dramatic. There's not only the threats of being shut down or having all the information that you're entrusted with uh, taken from you, but also there's regulatory compliance now. There's new uh, regulations coming that start next year where the fines start at $20 million and go up from there. So it's suddenly, you know, it's an issue that goes well beyond the technology and that's what the chief trust officer role uh, works with here. We co- we're a coordination point for privacy, for physical security, for business security issues. And we're able to take the, the advocacy point for our clients so to make sure that we become that trusted partner that they need in order to take their business to the next level.
0: So you described earlier some of the projects that Unisys is involved with, and these are very large critical infrastructure projects. And so maybe let's begin with some discussion. Give us some insight into the security, computer security thinking that goes into critical infrastructure because you're, you're so deeply involved there.
1: I'll give you a great example. One of our, our clients is the power company for their entire country. Uh, if they have a problem, the lights go out in an entire country. Uh, so they take their security very, very importantly. So we put in a program with them. We work with them for a long time. We put in a program to shift them away from the concept of security into the concept of resiliency. And resiliency is a key word in 2017. The UN is focused on that. Uh, a lot of the big global organizations are trying to shift the focus because security has to be perfect to be any good at all. Resilience and perfect is really difficult in this day and age. Even the best systems are are getting attacked successfully these days because something breaks down somewhere. So we're focused on resiliency. So assume that someone at that power company will click on the wrong thing in their email or they will leave their laptop on the train with the the password taped to the top. They will lend their laptop to their, their kid who clicks on the wrong website at home one night. Those things happen. That's part of life what concept of resiliency is all about that Unisys really stresses with their clients is that's going to happen. Don't let it shut off the lights for an entire country. So we deploy all sorts of countermeasures within the organization that make sure that when something happens, we can limit it. And that's going, that started out by just segmenting off different parts. So if one part of the the power system was, was corrupted, the rest would not be. But now we've been able to implement really cool things like predictive analytics So we look at so many data points within their organization and around the world, and we use artificial intelligence to analyze that, we can actually predict the threats that are forming on their borders that are looking like they're going to go to attack. And at the same time, we now have machine-to-machine defenses that can automatically reconfigure themselves, go into a more defensive posture when they see these threats that are predicted starting to form. That's the future of of what critical infrastructure really needs. They need it not only in power, they need it in transportation, they need it in banking, and they need it in, there's 18 critical infrastructure sectors around the world. And I would venture to say most of your viewers work in one or two of those already or have. So these are the things, critical infrastructure, those organizations privately held that need to exist in order to keep your way of life going. And so it's not just the governments, which are fairly well hardened. But now it's, if your power goes out, that really messes with you. If there's no food in your grocery store, that really messes with life. If the, you can't get your money out of your banks, these are all things that, that really can dramatically hurt a nation and the, and the people of a nation. And that critical infrastructure, therefore, needs to be protected. That's the reason I came to Unisys in the first place is because their reach is so broad. They actually operate and have designed and, and operate a lot of this critical infrastructure and a lot of these, you know, in healthcare and banking and energy around the world. So by coming here, we're able to actually raise the bar, really elevate the, the security posture at a wide variety of clients around the world.
0: When you talk about segmentation, there's now also the concept of micro-segmentation.
1: Micro-segmentation, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, it's, Michael, it's a great point to, to raise, but segmentation is hard. Uh, security people have known for a long time that it's better to segment their network. So if, if one part gets broken into, the other parts won't get broken into. It's a, what's a concept called East West or lateral movements. You want to stop those. And so the way they used to do that was with the tools at hand in the olden days, which were firewalls. And they would put a firewall between this building and that building or this giant network and that giant network. And that's how they went ahead and, and segmented their networks. Well, we, we have gone into clients that had over 100,000 individual rules on one firewall. No one can keep up with that. They they don't know what rules are there, who wrote them, what they're for. So they don't touch them. So now in those old days, it's so expensive to segment off that people have started to stop doing it. Even though they know they should, in order to keep business flowing, they've stopped segmenting the networks or they've done it at such a gross level uh, that it's not really that well segmented enter a new concept, new technology called micro-segmentation. And, you know, we've been working on it for for over five years with with individual clients, but it's now a generally available commercial product uh, called Stealth that is able to be woven into any existing network to allow you to create little tiny micro-segments, completely transparent to the users, that don't require any firewall rules. They're all managed by what group you're in. If you're in accounting, you get to see the accounting resources and nothing else. If you're in marketing, you can see the marketing resources and nothing else. And even though all the networks are still interconnected, the packets are locked into these little tiny micro segments. And that makes it so much easier to protect the network, to, to deliver the resilience that's necessary. So someone still might click on the wrong thing, but that attack is going to be limited to their little group. All the accounting people in Poughkeepsie might be affected, but not the rest of the world. It won't turn off the lights. And that's what we're really trying to get to with micro-segments. The more you put in and, and layer onto your existing network, the more secure you are. And again, when you design it correctly, and we now use artificial intelligence to actually create the whole uh, mapping of when we, when we roll out microsegmentation with stealth, uh, it now can be done so it's so transparent that as long as an employee or an associate's not breaking the rules, as long as they're doing what you've asked them to do, they never even know it's there. It's only if they try and download something they should get. That's when it's a problem.
0: So it's a, um, it organizes people by group, but how does that affect the security, uh, security threats from the outside?
1: So if someone comes in from the outside, uh, they, they break in, they, they're breaking into some point in your network. And in the olden days, that point would then they'd be able to go east-west or lateral movement, and they would do reconnaissance of your entire network. Now, whatever point they break into, all they can see when they run their reconnaissance program is those few nodes in that little sub-segment. They don't even see that the rest exists. Now, a good security monitor will then watch, and we've integrated stealth into all the top sims, like ArcSight and Logarithm and, and so the big systems that are people use to manage their events. We report up to them that, hey, somebody got in and tried to see something outside of the micro-segment. But they didn't get any any feedback back, so they can't reach back to their command and control servers. Uh, They basically look around and say, nothing to see here, nothing to steal here, let's move on and try the neighbor. And that's one of the huge advantages, both from an external attack and from the insider attack, which is is more and more a, a critical issue for companies.
0: Tom, you mentioned earlier that security is a technology subject as well as an important business topic. and so. How do you talk about this and present this at a senior level inside organizations? And what's the posture that these companies, from a business standpoint, are, are taking regarding security?
1: And that's something that, that's, uh, that's changing uh, almost in real time, Michael. The, the past few years, uh, the meetings that I, I take now are very rarely uh, with the IT department. Uh, they are now with the boards of directors, the members of the board's of directors, of the CEOs, with the, the vice president of, of finance, uh, the people that are responsible for running the business. And they're the ones that are saying, you know, this can't go down at this point. Uh, the conversation is has evolved. I started, you know, I, my first job was in the with the U.S. intelligence community overseas. I've been a security guy my whole life. And, and I learned the technology along the way in order to do my job but it didn't come up through technology. Uh, I'm not a programmer to start, which a lot of security people are. You have, do have to have people that know that, uh, but then, they then have to evolve that skill set in order to really work at the business level. And that's the concept of the chief trust officer that we've employed here at Unisys and other big companies around the world are starting to, to move to, where you look at it in a more of an overall uh, perspective, not just the, the, uh, the bits and the bytes of the problem. That certainly has to be handled. And you have to have, you know, CIOs that can really put in a resilient network architecture. Absolutely key technical issue that has to be there. But there are also privacy issues that you can design in and physical security issues that you can design in. And then the use of of advanced predictive analytics and machine to machine, you know, all these things, the speed of these attacks now is is just overwhelms uh, most groups that try and defend with humans in the line. So you know, we're looking at threats that get in and within milliseconds are are taking over. Uh, so you can't wait for someone to get a text and say, "Yes, we should we should go to a more defensive posture." That has to happen right like that, right instantly. And that's really the state of the art that that we're moving to here at Unisys.
0: And we have an interesting question from uh, Gus Beckdash, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. And he's asking. So what makes humans so hard to hack? What can we learn from that? And can we encapsulate that in AI security systems?
1: Oh, Gus, I like your question. Uh, there's a lot of, of science uh, directly on that, uh, on that point. You see a lot of university programs that are focused on that. A lot of uh, early startups now that are coming out with, with an algorithm, you know, one approach to that or a different algorithm with a different approach to that, uh, trying to, to figure that out. Uh, I can say we're getting much better, but it's a massive, massive problem that has to be addressed. Uh, the enormity of, of what we call the attack surface uh, is just so overwhelming that if you do protect it over here, uh, someone still need, you could still get in over here. So while we're getting better at that, uh, we are at the infancy of uh, predictive analytics and, and uh, using AI appropriately uh, the next three or four years, I think, are going to show tremendous improvements. I think it, come, it all stems from those AI algorithms. So uh, if, you're, if your group that you work with has uh, a, a big data analytics person, a, a scientist, or, or if you're lucky, a group of, of them, uh, give them all the R&D money you can afford. Let them go to the great symposiums at, at the universities around the world. A lot of this information is being shared freely uh, in, among the scientists in, in the AI world. And then it's just a race to, to commercialize the algorithms. But uh, I'd say we're at the beginnings of that. Uh, there's definitely a lot of people, uh, smart people, very focused on that. And then as those new algorithms come to, to fore and be, to take hold, that's when we're able to, uh, to put them to work. And one example is we've got a, an offering called uh, uh, Stealth Identity, which sells a lot into uh, uh, areas where you need to be very, very sure of who you're dealing with. So, it, And for years, that's worked with physical biometrics. So it's done facial recognition. We manage over a quarter of a billion individuals with at least one biometric marker around the world for our clients. So it's, it's a huge operation for, for physical biometrics. But the new cool stuff that we're rolling out within our Stealth Identity uh, offering today is uh, focused on behavioral biometrics, where we're not looking at your face geometry or your iris or your thumbprint. Now we're looking at over a hundred little tiny things, like are you left-handed or right-handed? Um, what's the volume of your voice when you speak? Uh, how, do you, how hard do you press on your phone? Where do you normally go? Where, what, what things do you do online? All those go into creating a risk score. So it's not one that can be tricked or fooled and say, oh, I've changed the IP address, so now I'm going to masquerade as Tom. Now we're seeing behavioral biometrics look at all that data and then we feed that into our artificial intelligence and our, our predictive analytics capability to come up with a, we're 84% sure this is Tom. So if all he wants to do is do his email, go ahead. But if he's trying to download you know, the, the source files for our, our super duper new products or you know, take all the, the identity information we've got on our clients, then you need to ask him for more information or make sure he's at his office or something. So we're really seeing advances of that being commercialized as it evolves, and uh, but it's a two-step process. The, the scientists have to think it up, and then the, the products like Stealth have to then bring it to the masses that need it.
0: We are talking with Tom Patterson, who is the Chief Trust Officer at Unisys. Join us on Twitter at uh, hashtag CXOTalk, and you can ask questions. Tom, you're talking about behavioral biometrics and topics such as that. What is the composition of, of the team that's needed in order to develop these kinds of products? Seems like you need a very multidimensional team.
1: That was another uh, uh, great thing that I found when I joined Unisys is we have a, a history of hiring some of the, the brightest and best uh, around the world, and uh, we put all them to use in solving our customers, new, our clients' new problems in, in this day and age. So uh, behavioral biometrics, different science. So we've spun up a big data analytics team led by a a brilliant uh, doctoral scientist, PhD scientist, uh, that has studied this all his life. And then he has directed uh, a whole new team of programmers that feed into our physical biometrics team, which feed into our productization team, which feed into our client solutions teams. So everything has to come together in order to make the science useful. And that's really one of the things we focus on at, at Unisys. We're graded by if our clients are successful. Their clients, you know, do what they want to do. Are they able to take advantage of the cloud safely? Are they able to grow around the world? Are they able to speed this up or keep the lights on? That's how we're, we, we figure out if we're successful or not. And so all those pieces have to be in line. But uh, we are absolutely blessed to have a, a world-class, a guy named Rod Fondacia, Dr. Fondacia, uh, leading our uh, big data analytics team, which feeds all of that uh, behavioral biometrics business we've got.
0: So much of security involves trade-offs between usability and hardening the system or restricting access, let's say. And, and in fact, you had an operating system, ClearPath Forward, that was never hacked. And so so where do you draw those lines? And where should CIOs and chief information security officers and boards of directors draw those lines for their own organizations?
1: Yeah, Michael, the, the trade-off question is, is one that, that we tackle uh, frequently uh, on a regular basis, because in the olden days, uh, it was a trade-off. Do you want to be open or do you want to be closed? And if you're, you're closed, you can't really do too much, and if you're open, you're at risk. And that was the trade-off that was always there. This day and age, as, as the businesses have gone digital, as we're using shared resources as though that they were our own, like public cloud systems and employees-owned mobile devices, all these now shared concepts we're actually able to architect security in. So it's an enabler of that as opposed to a trade-off for that. And you, you mentioned Clear Path Forward, one of the, one of the uh, products we're very proud of. It is the fundamental uh, core system behind over a trillion dollars a day that gets transacted online at banks around the world. Think about that. Over a trillion dollars a day has been for over five years. And if you go to NIST, the National Bureau of Standards, National... The new name for National Bureau of Standards. If you go to this website um, and, and look up, they actually rank the security of all publicly sold products. And if you look at operating systems, we're at the top of the list. Number of hacks, zero. Successful attacks, zero. Over, over all these years. So a huge bullseye, trillions of dollars a day, and yet zero hacks. And that didn't come from restricting it, that came from designing security in. Thought process number one was this has to be used for the most important business of the world, you know, real time systems, you know, we don't want planes to fall from the sky. We don't want trillions of dollars to disappear. We don't want power to go out. These systems that have to be right all the time. So we started with the premise that security is job number one. So we built that in and then built the systems on top. And this started working on mainframes years ago. Now it works in virtual machines in anybody's cloud, Uh, but it's the same core belief in security, design it in, and we found we don't make trade-offs, nearly as what, what we used to do, what the business, the world used to have to have. Now, if you're clever about security, if you're using modern tools like micro-segmentation, you can actually be that business enabler. You can save your organization money by safely using the cloud. You can save your organization money by having you know, a supply chain that's fully integrated, but do it in a way that they're all in one little micro segment, not, not having root access to the rest of your business. So it, we really look at uh, trade-offs being uh, a word of yesterday. And uh, today's word around security is enabler. And that's where we focus at Unisys.
0: So how does a company get to that point? Because nobody wants to be broken into. And if you talk to any CIO, they'll say, of course, we're secure. And so how do you overcome that um Bias, in in a sense, away from being realistic.
1: Well, again, there's a a whole crop of great chief information security officers that do understand this. That do understand that one of the biggest issues that they've got to face is the constant change, the constant evolution on the bad guy side and on the good guy side. You know, I I have a, I still maintain a top secret clearance from the U.S. government, so I see all the stuff. I mean, I, I I sit on a panel at the White House now. Uh, to help protect critical infra- infrastructure, so there's rarely a threat that that uh, I don't see. And people ask me, you know, how I sleep at night? Uh, you know aren't I worried? why am I? Why aren't, you know, aren't I depressed? and And I'm not. I'm actually very optimistic because in my the rest of my job, I see all the good guy stuff that's evolving. There's great new technologies, there's great new thought processes. universities are churning out really, really well thoughtful you know, created chief security officers and chief privacy officers and chief risk officers. So we're really seeing the good guy evolve at the same level as the bad guy. And that's really, it's that mindset change is where it all starts, uh, Michael. You asked the, the perfect question. If you've got a mindset of there's going to be trade-offs, all I've got in my arsenal is the stuff I used to buy five years ago um, and it'll never work, that's, that's going to fail. And uh, but there's plenty of people out there now that do get it, and that are coming on, and, and you're seeing the the leading companies of the world moving towards bringing in those types of CISOs. We work with some of the best CISOs in the world; uh, they're they're brilliant, but they're also current. You know, it's not they're not brilliant because this is the way we used to do it in the '70s, and by gum, we're going to keep doing it that way. Uh, they are constantly going to the conferences. They're constantly reading scientific papers. They're constantly trying out new technologies, even if it come from a tiny little startup with no clients. If it's a clever new way to do something, they want to see it. They want to feel it. They want to see if it can, can help them. And uh, nine times out of ten, they're able to actually weave together using today's countermeasures, a defense that matches and fits in the business requirements. So it's all about the the people at the top, you know, I, I I do spend a lot of time with members, boards, of directors, and generally they are not the most security savvy uh, people in the in the organization. I spend my time there uh, on purpose uh, because they are key to making this this all work. And I don't want to teach them how to become a security expert because that's just a failed concept. What I, what I do though is I teach them how to ask the right questions. It's amazing what happens in a public company when a member of your board of directors asks the CEO a question. The CEO then starts a whole program and gets the best people. We need to answer this question because this board member asked it. Just asking the question is what I tell them. Even if you don't know the answer, even if you don't know what the answer should be, asking the question is a good start. That gets the process rolling. You know, asking inqu- questions, not like what encryption do we use because they shouldn't have to care about that, but ask the question of, you know, are we resilient in our supply chain? Is there supply chain, you know, connected or do we have to make changes to those kinds of business questions start this whole process of thinking that then the right kinds of leadership in a company will embrace and they'll see that there's great solutions out there today to address them.
0: So the questions that you're posing to the board or or suggesting that the board pose to the CEO Relate to the impact of security on uh, business operations.
1: Absolutely. So, I, I again, I, I don't try and make a board member a security expert, uh, but I also I get them off of you know worrying about their home computer and and you know, what virus they they might have and why is their their computer slow, which used to be the questions. Now it's all about, <coughs> excuse me. I hear GDPR is this new regulation that that uh, is coming into force. Uh, in the in, uh, in spring of next year, spring of 2018. Uh, th- what's our exposure to that? What's our impact to that? What can we do not only to be compliant, but to lower our audit surface as we go forward that? Just asking those kinds of questions, start the ball rolling within a company. And generally, they're going to like the answers is what I tell them.
0: What about the role of the CIO? Where does the chief information officer fit into this equation?
1: And so the CIO is absolutely key. Uh, the, the bits and the bytes run over the CIO's infrastructure. Uh, the CIO has to be able to architect and deliver an infrastructure that works for their business and that uh, can support the security that's needed. Uh, but it is not; it's no longer the only source of uh, of input. That CIO now has to be uh, quite the politician, quite the uh, the uh, operator in order to work with. Uh, his or her counterparts in the organization and through their advisors like their auditors to really put together an overall system. What you don't want to see is stuff being forced on a CIO, saying, well, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to spend my budget there. I didn't want to put this block in here, this giant firewall in there, but somebody told me, the auditor told me I had to. That's the worst of all possible situations. You want to make that CIO a part of this larger risk and trust team it's looking at it holistically so they can architect in the CIOs are a smart group of folks they can architect in if they know what the goal is they can architect in a much saner way especially using things like public clouds which are elastic and inexpensive and and you move the maintenance cost all these benefits that they get that they hadn't been able to have because they were not thinking of it you know with the most modern security approaches and with this overall business and privacy driver as part of it when they put that together they end up architecting in then they run a much more efficient global uh, network uh, that does meet the needs both of the business side and of the security folks
0: and w- so you mentioned the risk and trust team what what should be the ideal composition of such a team
1: yes and and great question michael every uh, every organization that i 've worked with so far has been you know slightly different from each other, <clears throat> but the key really has been that the people that hold those roles work well together. Whether there's a hierarchy, whether they're in the same group, whether they get together informally, that has turned out to be less important for overall success. What really has to happen is all their voices need to be respected, and they need to be proactive. They need to be ahead of the bow wave. If the group is getting together for the first time after a security event has happened, that's the wrong time. These folks should be working together on a regular basis, whether they're in different groups. And a lot of times, privacy reports to the the legal uh, counsel, and uh, the physical security reports to the COO, and the chief security officer reports to the CIO. So they can be in different towers. Still, we're we're not having evolved that much that quickly, Uh, but having them work together at the direction of the board, at the direction of the CEO and the global leadership teams, get together, work this stuff out together. That's where they're finding these great synergies. That's where they're saving money. That's where they're lowering risk overall, privacy risk and security risk and physical security risk. All these things can be addressed together. You know, most every company that's of any size that's been around for a while has issues like technical debt. They've got old stuff and there's not enough money to buy all new stuff. So they've got to work together, be realistic with each other and say, well, we've got this privacy uh, spend that we've got to do. And we've got this technical debt issue over here. And we're trying to go and and open business in in country X and and country Y. Let's design a system, maybe using a cloud provider and some micro segmentation. And we do this. Suddenly, we're addressing all those issues with one spend, And that is really opening the eyes, not only the practitioners, uh, but it's opening the eyes of of the business leaders and the the, uh, governance leaders uh, across the world and literally around the world.
0: And what about the, you mentioned privacy. So what is then the linkage between security and privacy?
1: Yeah. So again, they used to be at odds. <laughs> they used to be two separate groups and in many cases still are in two separate towers in an organization. But we we work very hard. Unisys has its own security consulting group. It's a very high-end group. It's not the the, the masses you know we won't send a thousand people out to go operate your business but but we uh, we'll go in and talk to your your teams and and coach them and train them up uh, and one of the things that we really focus on is is getting those two businesses together they they've become very complementary and uh, they both have great skilled people at the tops of those in the tops of those organizations in many cases, but they hadn't worked together well they hadn't been brought in together. Now we're finding, you know, their clients, their customers, the end users are are demanding that. Hey, we're not going to trust you unless you convince us you'll take care of my private data. And and that's a privacy issue. It's not a security issue. So coming up with a system that does that is key. And, you know, one of the other things that's that's been a a real uh, wake-up call for a lot of these folks, a lot of these companies, is they're finding this concept of reducing their audit surface. You know, we tell them as security professionals, you need to reduce your attack surface. You need to not have this big, wide network with all these places that could be attacked. You know, your home computers and your phone lines, and they're this and they're that, cell phone of the CEO, all those things are part of your attack surface. So what we try and do from a security perspective is we bring that down. We reduce the attack surface. We now apply that same thinking to the privacy officer. Let's reduce your audit surface. So one of the things that's problematic with, with all these regulations is the cost both in time and money, to audit every system that you have every year. It's a very expensive proposition. It takes people away from doing other more you know, important jobs that their company would want them to do. So what we found is, is things like GDPR and PCI, if you're in the payments world, or HIPAA, if you're in the healthcare world, these regulations say things very clearly. We need to audit all the systems that where customer privacy data has touched them if it wasn't encrypted. That's the last bit. So what happens is most people bring it into their network and it just floats around in packets and they don't know where it goes. So they end up having to audit all of their systems every year. A hugely costly time and money expense. What we do is we put, the let's say the PCI data tracks credit card uh, track data, we put track data into its own little micro segment. No matter where it goes, it's in its own little segment. It can never get out. And so you then, for PCI compliance, only have to audit those few computers that actually touch that, not all the rest. And that dramatically lowers your cost to be compliant. So privacy, big issue. But the answer here is coordinate with the security people, with the physical security people, with the business people. And I think you'll find that you can do things like reduce your audit surface at the same time you're reducing your attack surface save money and get a win for everyone.
0: I want to remind everybody we're talking with Tom Patterson who's the chief trust officer at Unisys and join us on Twitter with the hashtag CXOtalk and ask questions. We have uh, some more questions but but before that t- Tom some of the techniques that you're describing are very sophisticated and how can organizations that don't have that level of sophistication and security deal with it? And at the same time what are the bad guys on the other side doing? They're pretty sophisticated, too.
1: They are. And it's a two-part question. I'll, I'll take them in order. Uh, again, both interesting questions, Michael. Uh, first off, you know, in terms of its level of sophistication, five years ago when we introduced Stealth, uh, the only groups we sold it to were the U.S. intelligence community. Uh, they had the sophisticated people that could take care of it. In fact, it's the only microsegmentation product that's approved By the NSA to handle classified data still to this day Uh, but what we've done in the last five years is build a lot of intelligence into the products themselves i think that's a trend that you're seeing a lot of the more advanced better funded security product companies around the world Uh, maybe the one-offs you know startups can't afford to do that but the bigger companies understand that if you want to make it useful you have to make it accessible So we build, like for Stealth, uh, we we launched a program last year called Stealth Aware that automatically scans your network, automatically gives you a visual map of your network, automatically isolates independent flows and says, this is probably PCI data, this is probably HIPAA data, this is probably marketing data, and suggests security policies that you can then say, you can adjust them a little bit and give them your own names, then hit enforce, and it automatically distributes it, all based on artificial intelligence. So we've made it as user-friendly and and accessible as possible because we want all of the world to be able to take advantage of the most modern technologies. And we're not alone in this. The uh, the firewall companies have have emerged to become really uh, uh, next-generation firewalls and and really uh, very easy to deploy, saying the same thing with security and event management, which used to be a nightmare of of, uh, sophistication in order to make any use of it. Now, companies, new companies like Logarithm, um, out of in Denver, Colorado, you know, have just made that so easy because they've built the intelligence into the product. We're seeing more and more of that. And that's certainly the way uh, the industry is headed. Is, is taking advantage of that because everybody wants it to be better deployed. We don't want shelfware, is what we used to call it in the olden days. On terms of uh, what are the bad guys doing? Absolutely, this is one of the keys to success. Is you cannot get complacent. You looked at the, uh, you followed the ransomware uh, issues of, of spring of 2017 uh, that spread throughout the world. Uh, they were attacking systems based on, on, uh, on holes in the systems that had been, a patch had been available for three months. So the only places that they were effective were the ones that hadn't patched in three months. Now, some companies have a 90 day patch cycle, some have an annual patch cycle, some never patch. But that vigilance, that staying current, Is absolutely key Uh, if you stay current with your patches if you layer on micro segmentation if you train your people invest in in training your users about what to do and not do and what to do if you click on the wrong thing and and just be real realistic about that those three things by themselves will make you resilient and that's the goal you're never going to be perfect which is what the, the old goal used to be now you just need to be resilient And you need to make sure you contain an issue down to a level that you're comfortable with dealing with, um, that you keep the lights going on, you keep the money flowing, you keep the bread on the shelves. Whatever your job is, whatever your company's business is, that needs to keep going. That's job number one. And uh, if you have that as your goal and you use the most modern technology, the most modern thinking, it's people, process, and technology. You have to have the right people with the right current thinking. You have to have the right technology that uh, can do what needs to be done. But you also need really agile and efficient processes. These don't just come out of a box or out of a book. Uh, This takes real experience to be efficient enough to do all these things without breaking the bank or needing people that you can't find and hire and retain. So you need the people, the process, and technology to all come together, but they will be a match for the bad guys. The chances of you being the one organization that's hit by the one zero day that no one's ever thought of are very small. You just want to make sure you're not the third guy. That got hit by that zero day from yesterday. That's the thing. You need to be current on your patching. You need to be aware of what's going on. You should be plugged into somebody's cyber intelligence feed so you can see what, what other companies that look like you and organizations that look like you, what they're seeing. So you get a little advanced warning. And the more you can layer on things like micro segmentation, which, again, is transparent, doesn't require new users, works right off of your, your um, uh, LDAP or Active Directory, Whatever grouping you've already got just feeds off of that. So putting in these kinds of things now will save you so many headaches down the road.
0: So that combination of being diligent, focusing on your processes and mindset around security and buying the right technology.
1: Just being current with the right technology. It's constantly evolving and uh, you don't want to lock into any particular brand or any particular concept you just need to make sure you're staying on top of things as, as it evolves.
0: And we have a comment, a question from Twitter. Arsalan Khan is bringing up the subject, who's responsible for dealing with social engineering threats? And so maybe you can explain what that is. And that seems like it's it really falls very clearly under that kind of mindset and people in process dimensions that you were just describing.
1: It's really Arsalan, it's another fantastic uh, concept to discuss here. Thank you for the question. Uh, It really isn't one thing anymore. There's not one group or or organization uh, responsible for that. Uh, You certainly want to educate your users to not fall for the common tricks. You know, we we spend a lot of time saying that the the best phishing attacks no longer look like that uh, Nigerian Prince email with the misspellings that we used to have years ago. Now they look like that every bit they came from their, your CEO with all sorts of information about you that's right and no misspellings at all, and yet it's still a trick. So social engineering is, is a huge thing. It's, a, it's a, one of the most common entry points into an organization at first. So educating groups about what to see, what to do, and then that, that's key. But you can't leave it at that. Uh, then it's up to the CIO and the CISO to architect defenses against that. So you can do things like uh, have digital signatures on your email. So if someone says it's really Tom emailing you, you'll be able to see some digital proof that it's really Tom, not just you know, the email address, return address, which is easily spoofed. So putting in things like that can go a long way towards reducing the social engineering. And then uh, just understand that someone somehow at some point is going to click on the wrong thing. It's just a fact of life. No matter how you, you train them up and how good they are, they're going to, it's going to look good. One of the things that's going on now is um, most of the information about people that have bought houses or are buying houses was stolen. And so what's happening is they're all getting emails that say, okay, here's, here's how you do your wire transfer, send it here. And they look perfect. And they're about to do their wire transfer. And Now they're ending up wiring all their house money to some crook overseas. So that's going to happen. What you want to do is make sure that those people, your employees operate within a little tiny micro segment. So if they get tricked into doing the wrong thing, they don't take down the whole company. They just take down their little field office or their little subgroup. And again, the smaller you make those segments, the less of a risk it is. So you need to change, work on the people side. You need to work on the technology side to put those things in. And then the process. You want people to report issues. Hey, this didn't smell right. You know, let me, me, uh, should I just ignore it or should I call somebody? We put in programs where people that call in you know, hey, I I don't know if this was spam or not, but I got it. We want to see that because we want to see if there's something happening and our people are being targeted. We actually reward them. We send them little gold stars. We thank them publicly in our newsletters. We make them heroes for doing the right thing, make them sort of deputize them in, in the defense of the organization. And it really works out great. It's a mindset change, but absolutely a key part of any defense these days.
0: Tom, we have just about two minutes left And we need to talk about policy. So in a minute or two, you've worked in the intelligence community. You've advised the government, advised the White House. What are the policy implications of all of this for the government? So in about a minute, can you just summarize your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, my. You've given me the toughest question uh, with no time left. Uh, That's not fair, Michael. Um, Listen, governments around the world have a role to play, uh, there isn't one government in charge of all this. Uh, we're starting to see cooperation around cyber uh, globally. Uh, most organizations, the smallest organizations, now cross borders on a regular basis. Either Their suppliers or their supply chain or their customers or their their clouds, something crosses borders somewhere. You need to focus on international cooperation. But if you do your part, if you encrypt your data wherever it goes, and you hold the keys, not some third party, any third party you are miles ahead of what's going to come down from any policy perspective. And
0: in uh, the last 30 seconds or so, this is a little bit off the ranch, but any thoughts on uh, blockchain and security?
1: I love blockchain. We're not going to explain it in 14 seconds. Um, Blockchain is the fundamental technology underneath of things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and some of these massively uh, uh, new uh, uh, cryptocurrencies that are out there. I I like it for cryptocurrencies, but honestly, I think current regular currencies are working pretty well these days, so I'm not sure what problem they're solving. I love blockchain for distributed trust. It's going to be a huge enabler, especially around Internet of Things, where there's so many of them coming, trillions of these devices that are connected. There won't be time to go to a trusted third party. We're going to need peer-to-peer trust. That's what blockchain brings us, so Great place to focus on learning and investing and working with building into your systems.
0: And in the spirit of answering complicated questions very quickly, uh, what about security and IoT?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. So IoT is, is, is a privacy issue, first and foremost. Uh, when those those internets of things are used as industrial control systems. So we protect a lot of the, the valves that open and close gas pipelines and oil rigs and electricity switches on towers. All those are little mini computers. Those have to be secured. The things like your Fitbits and the health monitors need to initially be secured for privacy. But ultimately, we need to design the same level of security in that we're doing on the industrial control systems into all sorts of IoT Big issue coming out, again, first you'll see it in privacy and the consumer side, then you'll see it with security as these, we move from, you know, cars entertaining us to cars driving ourselves home. That's going to be the big change, and we need to take security seriously across the board.
0: And even though we are out of time, you mentioned cars, and this, what about security in cars?
1: Oh, man. So, cars scare me uh, because uh, they are have never historically taken security seriously, there's a thing called the CAN bus that is sort of the interconnection point for all the, old, all the sensors that have been on cars all along. In the beginning, everything plugged into that, including you know, turning your steering wheel to park and pressing your accelerator and your brake. Now we're starting to get better. We're starting to have better systems. We're having to have little tiny firewalls and micro segments in the cars themselves. Uh, You're definitely are going to be choosing which brand of vehicle to buy based on their, their cybersecurity safety record and it's something that every manufacturer is now getting very very serious on.
0: Okay, so we are out of time. I apologize to the folks whose questions on Twitter that we didn't get to. Tom Patterson, Chief Trust Trust Officer at Unisys. Thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your expertise with us.
1: I'm happy and I'm I'm on Twitter at, at @tomtalks and I'll I'll monitor that hashtag too and and pipe in going forward whenever I can whenever I see a question.
0: Fantastic. Everybody, you've been watching episode number 239 of CXO Talk. Next week we have two shows, two great shows. So go to cxotalk.com/episodes and check out our upcoming shows and be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Click the YouTube button and then subscribe. Thanks so much everybody. We will